So I'll try to keep us to time now that I've sucked up all of that time. It's true, right? I had forgotten. Thank you. Three hours. Three hours. We have, technically, we have like five hours and 15 minutes until Eutychus falls out the window. <laughs> Thankfully, he's only got like, you know, five and a half feet to fall, so not, not three stories. First John chapter 3, uh, verse 1. Uh, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. See the exclamation point at the end of that? You know, the great exuberance that he puts there. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him, right? This is the family we are of as children of God and as foreigners to the children of men or children of the devil or children of the world. They don't know us, right? We know them better than they know us. Okay, why? Because we were of the world. And Christ drew us out of that world. And so here, uh, the great love and the great exuberance that has been stated, they don't know beloved. Now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I uh, loosely couple this together with 1 Corinthians that's talking about speaking in tongues and prophecy being done away with when the perfect has come. You can see a reflection of that here, of the face-to-face and the occasion when we are in the presence of the Lord. So this this revealing that is going to take place, uh, we're longing for that. Whether whether you know it or not, um, the anxiety we experience, the disheartenment that we have with our own existence and the world that we have to live in, right? When, when, I don't know about you, but the devil likes to plague me um, with memories of my failures, he whispers to my mind and reminds me of things I've long forgotten, where I embarrassed myself, where I was incredibly sinful and incredibly in the shame that just falls upon me and my, and my heart breaks and I'm filled with sorrow. You know, it's a thing that uh, I've struggled with for a long time. I've, I've talked to us in the past about there's a great difference between guilt and shame, right? The guilt is gone. Christ has paid the cost. We're no longer guilty, right? The, the, because the price, the penalty has been paid in Jesus Christ. But shame lingers. And our enemy can cripple us uh, with that in the process. Uh, that heartbreak is actually a longing for what lies ahead. You're disheartened with this world. You've disheartened. You're disheartened with what you have experienced, what you have done. You're longing for what the Lord has for you in His presence and in His future. 
right? Uh, you know, yeah, sure. The body, we can concentrate on that as he's talking about here. Uh, you know, the newness of our creation and what it will be. Yeah, the, the particulars there are, are worthy of our time to meditate upon and to discuss with one another what we will be. Uh, but notice, right, uh, that uh, this begins with, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, present tense, that we should be called children of God. We presently are already. If your heart sinks, if you're overwhelmed with that thought and you're depressed with the anxieties and the struggles that you have right now, you know, you know, be it the world, you know, you read the news and just think like, oh, Lord, how long? How long do we have to do we have to see another one of these tragedies? Do we have to see, you know, do we have to listen to more lies? Do we have to when your heart breaks about that, that's the longing for what is to come, you know, what his world will be. It's an amazing thing to consider uh, what what will be in the presence of the Lord, what he's going to create. It's going to be a different world. It's going to be a completely different world uh, in every regard than what we're uh, you know, presently experiencing. We'll be like him, you know, in some degree. Uh, we shall see him as he is, present tense. And everyone who has this hope, in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Now, the purification uh, and the purity of Christ, certainly very important and very significant. But I want to dwell just briefly on the word hope, okay? Because we think of hope as a question mark, okay? That's not how the, the scripture presents it at all. This language barrier between the Greek and then through the Latin into German into English uh, leaves you with some things that, you know, are very different in the original language than they are here. It's an assurance. Ho the hope that's being spoken of here is contained in Christ. You know, there's a surety and these things will happen. These things do presently belong to you. As a child of God. So it isn't, you know, our blessed hope. That's that's not like, gosh, I hope it happens. <laughs> you know, it's the idea of Christ has given us the assurance that it will happen. And he signified it by fulfilling the things from the Old Testament to show us that he is predictable and reliable. So what he's promised and still lies ahead will take place. So this is the hope we rest in is the assurance of Christ. It's not, again, it's just, it's not that idea of, well, I just, you know, uh, you know, I'll roll a dice. Maybe it'll happen. Maybe it'll turn out right. No, the, the hope is in the one who is sure. You may doubt completely. Uh, you know, I'll point again, right? There's, there's a, a group of false teachers uh, in the health, wealth, and prosperity movement of Christianity that teach faith, right, it is a power you wield. And if you just believe strongly enough, then you can generate the spiritual energy that will cause these things to take place, okay? So, you know, if you read through the scripture and your mind kind of assembles that teaching, let me just point out one instance, okay, where Peter has been arrested and he's going to be executed, right? James and John, not Jesus' half-brother James, but James and John, sons of thunder, James has already been killed, 
right? Roman leadership recognizes, well, that makes the Jews very happy. So let's get another one. They capture Peter. They're going to execute him. They put Peter in prison. All the Christians are overwhelmed with this occurrence, and they go to prayer. They're having a prayer meeting. Lord, release Peter from, from prison. Spare his life. Don't allow him to be killed. They're just earnestly, they're in the middle of the night, they're continuing in prayer. Peter's in prison and has fallen asleep when an angel appears in his cell and has to strike him to wake him up, tell him to gather his clothes, and as they leave, right, all the chains fall off. As they leave, the doors of the prison just open ahead of them, right? Peter is thinking, like, this is dreamlike. To the point where the angel has escorted him out the front gate and down the street when the angel disappears and Peter's left standing in the middle of the night with his little knapsack going like, oh, this is real. This is, this is not my imagination. This is not my hope. This is not my dream. And so he scurries his way to the home where he's unaware there's this prayer meeting and Bible study going on and he's pounding on the gate outside and the little girl Rhoda comes to the gate, sees Peter. She's so excited. She runs back inside and tells everybody, Peter's at the gate. And they say, now stop. You're, you're you know, young teenage girl and you get all excited about things and just, you know, calm down. Peter is in prison. He couldn't possibly be at the gate. We're in the middle of a prayer meeting here. So please go no further. She carries on, right, until it's apparently some degree of embarrassment. And they then shift gears into, oh, man, they must have already killed Peter. It's his ghost at the door, right? The scripture doesn't promote that. That mindset, that concept to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, you know, all these different things. But, you know, every culture has that mindset that, you know, when somebody dies, their ghost leaves their body. Peter's ghost must be at the gate. And he continues to pound until they come up. Point being, right, faith-filled Christians are praying in earnest that Peter would be released from prison. The Lord hears their prayers and answers that prayer. How much did they really believe it was going to happen? They're telling this little girl, it's not him. It can't be him. And then even when they, right, oh, it, he must already be dead. So how faithful are these people? Right? It isn't your faith. It's what you place your faith in. It's the strength of Jesus Christ. Right? The illustration I always use, forgive me for my repetition, right? Here in the state of Maine, we lose people every winter because they believe and place their full trust in something that's not trustworthy. The ice of our lakes, the ice of our ponds and rivers, they venture out on them and they die. They sacrifice their life because they trust in something that's not trustworthy. Okay, Jesus Christ is trustworthy. This hope that I'm talking about, this thing that we rely upon, that we place our trust in. So if you're in prayer and you're not believing, I would encourage you to believe more and more because of the faithfulness of the Lord. You've already seen the faithfulness of the Lord in your own life. 
Okay, you see it in the scripture and you see that's the God you worship and you see it happening in your own life. Trust beyond your experiences. If Christ has done this much in my life, then he can do this in my life. Okay, it will relieve you a lot of a lot of heartache. But if you're praying, God, please do this. And then you still have that faithlessness in your heart. Don't be discouraged. Right? What did that father pray? Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Right? God is gracious. God is loving. God is kind. He's not like you or I, where, where you know, oh, you don't believe me? Then I'm not going to do it for you. Right? That's our pride. That's our sinfulness that conducts itself that way. God isn't like that. He doesn't look at you as you pour your heart out, please, Lord, do this thing for me. And then he sees that portion of your heart that doesn't believe. And he, he goes, well, I'd like to, but you're really, yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you're more like 60% doubt, 40% believe. And I, I mean, we got to at least get to the 50-50 mark before I can do anything here. That's not God. He is the hope we have. What we're trusting and what we're looking for is he's ever faithful, right? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never fails. Never does he fail. Trust in him and what he's saying to us. So this hope, right, that we have causes us to purify ourselves just as he is pure. Are you ever going to be as pure as Jesus? No. You ever going to be as perfect as Jesus? No. Okay. What is being said, right? Um, you need to purify yourself to the degree that you are capable of as a human being. And the illustration that came to mind as I was thinking about this, right? We're children of God, so we're reflecting the character of our Father. He is holy. He is pure. So we need to be holy. We need to be pure. So um, <clears throat> when I was younger than four years old, um, uh, my father was still alive and, uh, we had this big, long fence next to our house, uh, as a, like a stockade fence, uh, wooden slats. And on the other side was a, a big trucking depot in their, um, their parking lot, their yard. And, uh, my father and I were together outside, uh, doing some work on one side of the house and we, we start hearing wood breaking. And my father runs around the other side of the house, and I run with him. Again, I, I have to be younger than four at this point. And there's kids from the neighborhood who are taking rocks, and they're throwing it through the wooden slats of the fence. They're shattering the fence. And my father loses his mind on them. You know, you rotten kids, get out of that parking lot. He's, I'm yelling just like him. You know, like I, like I bear some authority. And they say, you guys, stop it and get out. I can just remember the whole thing of like, I'm all bristled up. Some like, you know, so you ever seen a kitten do that? He gets all, uh, uh, I'm all jacked up, like, get out of the yard. You know, why? Because my that's my father's position. So I'm taking the same position. I remember him turning around and looking at me with such adoration. You know, he was just like proud and happy and entertained all at the same time, like, Here's this, like, yeah, go get him. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, like, he's going to unleash me on them in the moment. You know, and really, uh, who are we? Christ and his purity. We must imitate our Heavenly Father. 
You know, the things that he conducts himself in, we should conduct ourselves in. The things he will not conduct himself in, we should not conduct ourselves in. And that's a lot of the discussion that follows right here. We've handed out tranquilizer darts, so that should be okay out there. Um, so uh, the point being that we should reflect the character as Christ you know, we're, we're going to have this new body. We're going to have this glorified state of existence. Christ is going to be revealed in his glory, will be revealed in our glory. So right now, we should be purifying ourselves as he is pure. We shouldn't, you know, I mean, you get the picture, right? There are just certain things as believers we should not be involved in. We should not be doing you know, and, and if you're thinking of those extremely filthy things that are so obvious in the world, how about the lesser things of envy and gossip and bitterness, and, right? These, you know, this isn't Christ. This is not of us. What are we doing? You know, it should very much be that we're purifying ourselves. Now, the I have shared with you before, in regard to uh, all three, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, uh, Spurgeon uh, is the one who said in regard to these three books that there are whole sermons in the tense of the word, right? So talking about sin, uh, the idea of continuing in perpetually, habitually, that's all contained in what we're about to uh, read through. And that's what the Lord is talking about, right? Because guess what? We're human and we're sinners. We are. That isn't an excuse, right? You don't get to write that down in your Bible and walk away and say, Pastor Will said I could sin. You know, that's, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that because we're human, we're going to have that propensity, right? But it should be that if we stumble and we sin, that we're horrified, that we hate it and we want to do all we can to free ourselves from it. You know, the the, the, uh, the old pastors used to refer to it as sloppy agape, you know. When, uh, God's unconditional love. When you, you feel like you can just go live however you want to, live in sin, continue on. Uh, you know, he's, he's confronted the rest of Christianity over a certain conduct. They've been convicted. They've purified themselves. But, you know, I... I decide that, well, the Lord has made special exceptions for me. You know what I'm saying? And, and, there, and that mindset, you guys, right? And keep in mind, as we move forward in this, none of this is the Lord's condemnation for us. It's his encouragement to us that we would find greater and greater freedom and greater and greater fruitfulness in our lives, right? He, the things he calls us out of and the things he calls us into those aren't restrictions. Those are freedom. That, that, that's where we find life, right? When he said to Adam and Eve in the garden, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? I mean, you apply this, you overlay that concept, and a lot of people are like, yeah, God's holding me back. <laughs> no, no, he's trying to protect you. You know, the thing you're currently, you know, Conducting yourself in that he's calling you to to leave and and forsake and not have anything to do with, that's so you'll have a more fruitful life. 
It isn't that there's something good and special and fulfilling there that, you know, that's, I mean, that goes against the character of God, right? That there's something good and fulfilling and fruitful. And he's like, no, I don't want you to have anything to do with that. I will not allow you. You know, that's special. No, it's horrendous. It's horrible. It's destructive. He's trying to protect us and guard us and keep us away from it. So whoever commits sin, and it's the idea of continuing, you know, also commits lawlessness. Uh, so, so literally, you know, please don't shout out or, you know, raise your hand, but like uh, whatever your habitual sins were, you know, the things that befell your nature by nature, you know, people say things like, well, you know, I have a short temper because I'm Irish. <laughs> you know, it's a big deal. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it just doesn't give you permission to punch people in the face. You know, just, well, I'm Puerto Rican, so I'm fiery. You know, I just say they get, they have all these different excuses for, you know, I, well, I was raised in, you know, such a community and where that's just the way we are. No, 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 you belong to Christ. You, you are his now. So, so those things that might come to us by nature or nurture, whichever you want to look at um, as a child of God, those things need to be past tense, right? And if you're overtired and you know, didn't have devotions and you're short-tempered and somebody pushes your buttons and you pop and do whatever sinful thing you normally would do or used to do, it should convict you and you should immediately confess and forsake and be cleansed and restored by the Lord. It, it cannot be that we just settle into a rut where we're like, right, God dealt with all these other things, but this area of my life, I guess I'm just going to have that till my dying day. That's not what Christ has called us to. C.S. Lewis was the one that said a rut is simply a grave with both ends knocked out. That's something to think about right there. We, we are called up from these things. We are called out of these things. Whoever commits continually, habitually sin also commits lawlessness, the life of lawlessness, right? The, the scriptural law. That number one, right? Keep it simple. Uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's an all-encapsulating thought. Right there, Because if you truly love the Lord, then there's a whole host of things you're not going to do. And if I truly love my neighbor as myself, then there's a whole host of things I'm not going to do. Because it's going to trespass and damage and hurt. Um, have you noticed how much people have got you under a microscope? Have you noticed that? As a Christian, you know, along the way, they make comments. You're like, wow, I didn't even know you were paying attention to that area of my life. It's kind of intimidating, right? Because you're an example to them, right? It isn't as much as they like to make it as a condemning statement. What it is, is it's a convicting point of view. Well, if this guy can walk the way that he should, then that means I should walk the way that I should. So they watch very carefully for the flaws so that they can go, aha, now I don't have to. Okay, so, so, so here, this, this lawlessness is very uh, damaging to ourselves and to those who would look at, to, uh, to us as an example. And sin is lawlessness. And you know that he has manifested uh, to, excuse me, he was manifested 
to take away our sins. Now, please understand, this isn't taking away sins like forgiveness. Like you were sinning and you were sinning and you were sinning and you were sinning and then Jesus arrived and just hit delete. Okay, that it's not just a wiping of the thing. It's the idea of he came to you to reach inside your person and seize a hold of that which was sin and take it away from you. That it wouldn't be yours anymore. That you would not conduct yourself in it anymore. That he would remove from you sin. As a, you know, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. This isn't just that Jesus is, you know, an eraser. It's that Jesus is the one who actually changes the person, right? John chapter 3, Nicodemus, you must be born again. You know, whatever your nature was, your family was particularly terrible. Uh, whatever your nurture was, the environment or the circumstances you grew up in caused and shaped and molded you to be, you know, sinful, uh, profoundly or mildly. Uh, Jesus is showing up on the scene and saying, uh, you need to be born again. In Christ, as a new creation, starting over with new nature, we've got to start again. The grace of Christ to deliver us from these things. So he was manifested to take away our sins. And in him, there is no sin. So this is now a qualifying factor. You know, contrasting you. In him, there's no sin. Right? It's, there's nothing sinful. You can't examine him from any direction and find flaw. In him, there's no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. And again, that's the idea of that habitual natural sin. Whatever it was, you've been delivered uh, from it. The Lord is and has taken that away from you. It can't be part of your life. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins, you know, perpetually, continually in nature, the way they were born, has neither seen him nor known him. Think, think about, right, the separation of the sheep and the goats. As the Lord says, depart from me, I never knew you. Right? Your, your sin by nature, the areas that you still struggle and you, you know, fall, stumble, uh, it is, again, the immediate uh, repentance, the immediate conviction, the confession, the departure from. You're not living in it. You have to constantly be cleansed uh, from it. That's the abiding in him. That's the remaining in him, right? Now, when you um, hear John 15 and Jesus is talking about, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me is fruitful. Whoever uh, doesn't, you know, I'm paraphrasing the whole thing. Uh, it'd be cut off, thrown out, uh, you know, withered, cut off, thrown out, burned in the fire. You know, look back at Isaiah uh, he who waits upon me will rise up on wings of eagles, run and not be weary, walk and not be faint. And, and you know, oftentimes we're, we're going, well, then why am I worn out? Why do I stumble? Why do I get back into sin? Why do I do these things? Uh, the term, right, waits upon him is the same as abides in. 
It isn't, it isn't like um, I sat at the bus stop and waited for Jesus to arrive. And, um, you know, I guess because I, I'm, I'm still screwing up like I always have, um, that I need to just stay here longer. <laughs> That's not it at all. The wait is not like wait like a waiter. Like you stand at the edge of the table and say, what do you want? What do you want? You know, are you cleaning? It isn't that wait. The, the term is actually best uh, described in English, as interwoven with. Those that wait upon the Lord are interwoven with Christ. If you're interwoven with Christ where he goes, you're going to go. Where he does not go, you're not going to go. Okay? Those that abide, remain, are, are part of the vine. You know, the, the vine stays where it's supposed to. It grows the way that it's supposed to. Right? You never turn around at a bar and there's a vine. You know what I'm saying? The fruit of the vine might be there, but the, the vine isn't, you know, a section of the vine hasn't separated itself from the vine and, and gone out for the evening. It's attached to the vine. The branches are attached to the vine. We need to be attached to Christ. We need to be living and growing and bearing fruit to, abiding, remaining. Uh, you know, this compartmentalizing that a lot of Christians do well. I, I I got church. I do church. I go to church, and I I also you know do these terrible things over here. <laughs> you know that's my Christianity, and this is my private life. If you've got Christianity, then your private life is Christianity. If you've got private life that's separate from Christianity, I'll just summarize it with this: you're separated from Christianity. That's a horrifying thought. There's some serious business to consider in this whole thing. Abiding in, remaining in, unbroken from, attached to, drawing life, right? Uh, forgive me, you know, for the, the whole approach, but this tattoo uh, is, you know, the, the turning maple leaf. And uh, when a leaf changes its color uh, and you see that brilliant color come out, that's the leaf's uh, natural color. What you've been seeing is the chlorophyll of the, of the tree or the plant that it's attached to. When the temperatures change, uh, God designed the trees to shed their leaves, right? The, the, the softwood's very flexible, so they can keep their needles. They'll just bend down. You know, they will break at times, but they, they're much more flexible. The hardwood... You put that snow load on, if the leaves just stayed on, you put the snow load on, they would destroy those trees. That weight would snap things off and wreck the tree. So it sheds, God designed it to shed the leaf. As soon as the temperature change comes, the, the, the plant, the, the tree, in this case the maple leaf, builds a layer of cork right at the leaf stem. It cuts off the uh, leaf from the tree. Uh, essentially, the tree is the leaf is no longer attached to the tree. The glucose and the chlorophyll are no longer flowing back and forth through the Cambrian membrane inside the tree bark, and that that leaf is now functioning. And in a very short period of time, it consumes the chlorophyll out of the leaf, and you're left seeing uh, the true colors of the leaf. The cork dries, the wind blows, it snaps off, and then you got to clean your yard. 40,000 tons of leaf in your yard, right? I put this here to remind myself because 
I, maybe like you, have a propensity to that drifting, that departing, and it destroys my life. Right? Bind my wandering heart to thee, you know, with a fetter, as the song says. You see, when I drift from Christ, it's usually my wife that notices first. And she said to me one day, Ah, I see your true colors. And it struck me, my true colors. I need to avoid that. Right? I need to keep that constant, fresh life of Christ flowing into the chlorophyll. I need Christ's life in me. What you need to see in me is Christ. You don't need Will Cass. That, that's just terrible. You know, if, if there be any good in my life, in my conduct, in my communication, it is of Christ. That which is of me is sinful. It needs to be that we are abiding in him. Whoever abides in him does not sin like he used to. The sin nature is dying. Being crucified daily, as Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me. Crucify yourself. Whoever sins has neither seen nor known him. I don't want to be in that class. I don't want any of you, any of us to be in that class. It needs to be that we would live and walk with the Lord. Verse 7. Again, here's the elder, the remaining elder uh, of all those who walked with, ministered with, experienced Jesus, saying to the entirety of Christianity, little children, let no one deceive you. Well, right? Uh, how many times do I point this out, right? If the scripture says that to you, to your face, be not deceived. Don't let anyone deceive you then that should tell you there's a very strong possibility of deception. Self-deception, uh, communal deception. Uh, we need to take it to heart that there's a very strong warning here from the remaining elder, right? John, the elder, saying to the entirety of Christianity, you want to be careful about being deceived. Let no one deceive you. He who practices, and so now here's one of the great contrasts, okay? This is, this is sort of like a, um, a definitive statement in the midst of this whole thing, right? It, it's contrasting the sin, now righteousness. Practicing righteousness, getting better and better at, looking to be more and more refined all of the time, you know, accomplishing your work in such a way that you're more and more conscious of it, practicing, refining, improving your righteousness. In contrast, practicing, improving, refining your sinfulness. That should not be part of your lives. So you can, you can sort of shift that back into everything that we just read about the lawlessness and the sinfulness of our nature it's the idea of perpetual, habitual practicing. That should not be part of your lives. What should be part of your lives is the practicing, habitual perfecting of righteousness. Imp constant improving of that in the process. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he, capital H, Jesus, is righteous. He who sins, and it's the idea of living in sin, is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, 
the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. So again, you guys, that concept of Jesus coming and taking away sin, it, it isn't just the, the wiping of the slate clean. It's the idea of destruction, removal, doing away with the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin habitually as he used to by his sin nature, right? For his seed, capital H on the his pronoun, meaning Jesus, Jesus' seed remains in him. You know, the vine, the growth, the planting, the life, the child of God. He cannot sin because he has been born of God. Cannot sin without guilt. Cannot sin freely, right? Your circumstances might pile up and you might get frustrated and you're like, that's it. I'm going to start smoking again. I'm going to start drinking again. And you go back and man, doesn't that stink? It's just horrible. It's a torment to your soul. There's an old statement uh, a preacher gave to me uh, regarding this subject when I was just first walking with the Lord. And he said, Will, you've got too much of the world in you to be satisfied with Jesus. But you've got too much Jesus in you to ever be satisfied with the world. And I dwelt on that for just a moment. And he said, there's only one answer. You need to get rid of the world because you're never going to get rid of Jesus. Right? You got to purify yourself. You got to get these things out. You got to remove them. That's where you're going to find your joy. That's where you're going to find your fulfillment. That's where you're going to find your fruitfulness. Is by moving forward in Christ. Not going to leave you alone. Okay, parents, you're just going to let your kid go off into the world and destroy themselves? No, you're not. Right? You're going to be a nag. You're going to ram it down their throat. You're going to write all those things. Right? That parents should do. Your heavenly father going to let you get away with it? No way. No way. Why? Not because he's sinful, short-tempered, and angry like you and I. Okay, like me. But, you know, because he's loving. He's good. He's kind. He's the good shepherd, right? He'll leave the 99 that are safe and secure and well-fed and inoculated and all happy and he'll go find the one who's lost and broken and filthy and sick and bring them back and restore them this whole concept is that what the lord wants to why you can't because you've been born of god his seed is in you you've been born of god so you can't ever find contentment in the world again i've had conversations with people that frighten me and i mean frighten me as a christian as a pastor um, as they claim Christianity, but they're living, and I mean living in sin. And I, I graciously confront them and try to steer them and instruct them in that. And, and, and a few times it's come up where they say, well, I, I guess I'm just a prodigal. To which I say, praise God. That's awesome that you're a prodigal. Because I thought you weren't saved. That's what I say to them. And they're kind of confused by that. And then I steer them into, you know, the prodigal forsakes their sin and comes home. So at what point are you going to do that? Because right now you're just confusing me. You're claiming 
to be a child of God when you're living a life of sin, which the scripture right here says those who have been born of God cannot do. They can't do it. No, no, not, not that I'm not going to let you. You aren't going to let you. Your conscience is going to continue to torment. You will have no peace until you surrender to Christ. Listen to the voice that's in your heart. Listen to the voice that's in your head and obey. Forsake the sin. Depart from the world. Come to Christ. Return home. Broken and contrite spirit. Broken and contrite heart, right? It's what the Lord is looking for. That's the heart he can work with. That's the heart that he can bless and create a fruitfulness in. So that's the time that we have. Like Deb said, we have two and a half more hours, but that's probably, you know, people got to work tomorrow. So, yeah. Um, I know some of you know uh, Ken Graves uh, quite well. Um, he, um, you're aware that his mother passed away. Um, so, Claudette is with Jesus. It's so incredible to think about. Um, that, that woman has suffered a lot in life, and she's free from all of it. She's in the presence of the Lord, experiencing everything we just talked about uh, now. Um, no sorrow. you know. Any sorrow we have is selfishness because we want her back for ourselves. She's in the presence of the Lord. That's a really cool thing. So um, they're having a memorial service tomorrow, Thursday, uh, tomorrow at uh, 1 p.m. So if you get an opportunity or you want to go, uh, Calvary Bangor, they're going to be uh, having that service. So celebration of, uh, you know, moving day for Claudette. Just time to pack her junk, stop camping out here in this worn out tent and go uh, to her eternal resting place at home. What a wonderful thought there. So we'll pick up uh, at verse 10 of uh, chapter 3 uh, when we're together next. So why don't we stand and we'll, we'll pray. Father, we are uh, very grateful for your word and the things that we've read here this evening. And we ask that you would work in each of our hearts, Lord. Uh, I pray that uh, we would not be deceived, that our flesh and our enemy would not um, coerce us into complacency, that, that we would address and attack and um, grow and conquer and be fruitful, abide in you. Lord, please give us your strength. Help us to obey you, to purify ourselves just as you are pure. Lord, with that, uh, help us to share our faith with the world around us, uh, the, uh, the public and um, our classmates and coworkers and friends and family. Help, help us to open our mouths and to invite the world into freedom and fulfillment in you. Lord, use us as your representatives uh, Lord, give us those opportunities, show them to us plainly, fill us anew, afresh with your spirit, that we would be bold and ready to open our mouths and to share uh, the things that uh, you are ministering to us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.